Welcome back to Legal Cut Pro. We are at ClioCon once again on the fourth floor poolside with Chung Bui. Chung Bui is a seasoned entertainment attorney and partner at Council for Creators LLP based in Los Angeles, California. His practice includes entertainment and commercial transactions, copyright, trademark, and corporate law. His years providing legal support on a broad range of entertainment, technology, and artistic ventures, including independent film production, post-production, digital content production, music, book publishing, multimedia art, illustrations, public art, and software development make him a valuable ally for creative businesses. Over his career, he has represented a wide range of creative clients from filmmakers, musicians, fine artists, and book publishers to technology startups and serial entrepreneurs. Chung, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for. Uh, it's. Uh, it was funny. I, I. I think I mentioned to you yesterday. We met. We just met yes. at a party last night. Literally just met like a <laughs> like less than twenty four hours so ago. So we do not know each other. That's true. <laughs> but you're so gracious to take some time out of your day uh, during this conference to do this interview with me. Oh, I appreciate the uh, you inviting me. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it, it was interesting that, that I let you know that I have been searching for. Well, not you in particular, but you, someone of your expertise for, I think, the last three days. An entertainment lawyer at An this conference. An entertainment lawyer at yeah, this yeah, conference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm the only one, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you probably know better than me because you've been looking around. So yes. I'm, my assumption usually at CleoCon is I'm probably the only. Of 2,000 attendees, I think me and you, yeah. the only. Yeah. Well, my, I'm on the Canadian side, so, yeah, yeah. so we're represented. So that's like makes we, like yeah, we 0.01% or whatever that. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad we met then. Uh, I am very glad as well. Uh, so how is your CleoCon going? Yeah, it's going great. Um, we love to support ClioCon uh, for a number of reasons. We obviously use Clio software mm -hmm. for our practice management needs. Um, uh, our firm is also pretty involved with the legal tech community, and this happens to be the big legal mm -hmm. tech conference, right? Uh, in particular, my partner John, he... Um, John Tobin? John Tobin, correct. He was a, a software developer and designer for many years before he went to law school. Went to the UCLA mm -hmm. Law. So. We built a technology uh, platform. It's a legal subscription service uh, that we offer to our clients, and it ends, and that uh, subscription service is now it's called the Creators Legal Program. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So we that's another offering we have in addition to our traditional legal services, right? Um, and we've had it for four years, so it's grown quite a bit over the last four years, and it's become a big part of our business. To be at a conference like this is important for us to be around other like-minded practitioners too. I think. Um, who are also invested in uh, legal technology uh, and uh, deploying it uh, within their own respective practices. So, And you've been to ClioCon before? Yeah, we went uh, two years ago in New Orleans. Uh, we had tickets for last year, but we both ended up not being able to go. Oh. Um, so uh, I think it was at New Orleans again, right? So yep. yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, we plan on going probably as long as they'll they'll, they'll they'll take us you know so so this is your second or third? the second one yeah. second one yeah mm -hmm. so so first one new orleans two years ago correct yeah couldn't make last year this is, this is the second one yeah first one was in new orleans yeah this was and this is the second one yeah correct so we were in the same conference two years ago but I, we didn't run into each other yeah, back then, yeah. Maybe, maybe you weren't looking as hard as we were for an entertainment <laughs> lawyer so well i wasn't quite looking back then because yeah. i didn't have the the podcast oh, back right, then right, so right. It, there was no no mission to find yeah uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah but it was uh fortuitous because like i was meeting uh, cliff kuhn mm -hmm. uh trademark lawyer uh, attorney at uh, the party last night mm -hmm. and, and then uh, all I just, legals I just, party yes that's yeah, right yeah. all legals party and i just mentioned that yeah, this is what I'm looking for. It's like oh, over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cliff's a good guy. Yes, yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
one uh, part of your bio, a later, or no, not in your bio, but in your LinkedIn profile that yeah. I that I saw is that you worked for NBC Universal prior to practicing law. Is that right? Yeah, it was actually right after I graduated from law school. Um, so I had interned on the lot during law school, and um, there was a position that opened. Um, that was sort of a, a hybrid legal and like a corporate policy position. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what happened was um, at that time, Comcast had acquired NBC Universal, and as a part of the De Department of Justice's proceedings uh, or the, them looking into whether or not that constituted a monopoly, right? Oh, they had to approve it. So, pursuant to that approval, they had certain like diversity mandates, right? Like diversity uh, as far as like on camera yeah like in front of the camera diversity behind the camera right from a hiring standpoint right and also a diversity from a general hiring standpoint human resources and then also a diversity as far as like the su supplier pool mm -hmm. so i helped manage the supplier pool component of that so there was like a there's a there's a doj policy involved right department of justice u.s department of justice policy where there's a mandate as far as the, the diversity numbers that nbc had to hit for across all those different areas is, it, is that under legislation, like, uh, or is that the, the deal that... That's the deal. That's, that's, that's just the deal, right? That's just yeah. a deal. And, you know, to be honest, it wasn't yeah. like, if you don't do this, then we're, go we're not, yeah. then you're in, you're in trouble or whatever, or you're going to have sanctions or whatever, right? Yeah. So there was nothing like that. It was just, please do this. <laughs> I uh, find that of particular interest because I used to work for a competition bureau in Canada. Okay. Yeah, so I, uh, I wasn't uh, practicing law as a, uh, a lawyer with the competition bureau, or it would be the CBLS. To, anyway. But I, I'm familiar with uh, competition law, mm -hmm. and I have not. I didn't work in the mergers division, but it's, it's interesting that that kind of deal is struck with a diversity mandate as part of like, okay, so you're going to be lessening competition out there, so you have certain these kind of uh, yeah. obligations to create a better company. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, to, right? And you know, just to be fully clear, this this existed before. Okay. The the, the acquisition, but it just became more important. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. So I was I was doing that. So it wasn't necessarily like a corporate legal job. It was a bit of a hybrid, more policy. Um, but I was still able to practice law on the side. I, I still had my own practice where I was representing independent right. films. Yeah, so okay. I've been doing independent film production, legal, like since the very beginning of my legal career. So I was doing that during this time for like two years. And why uh, film in particular, like practice for film to do? Like, um, was it um, was there a particular influence, or or you had background with uh, film before? Uh, well, I've always had an interest in film, cinema, art, mm -hmm. right, music, um, from a personal interest standpoint. When I went to law school, I wasn't really sure what area of law I wanted to like focus on or get it. I really, I was just kind of desperate to get a job. I wanted to get a job somewhere. Like uh, going in in two thousand six. Mm -hmm. I think that was right at the beginning of the recession, right? right. So, so it was really so the so the job market was much more competitive. I was fortunate in law school. I was able to meet, make a meet a few mentors. One of them, she was an attorney at NBC. She's now at Viacom at the time. Um, her name was Marlo Brower. Uh, now she's Marlo Lyons, but she's a you know pretty well regarded entertainment lawyer, mm -hmm. corporate studio entertainment lawyer. She was a mentor of mine. Uh, I met. I actually applied for an internship with her. Uh, she gave me an offer, but I declined because I got another job somewhere else that I was more interested in. But we ended up becoming friends. Anyways, long story short, um, I got internships uh, during law school, um, and I took all the entertainment law courses that were available um, because Loyola has a very strong... I went to Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. Um, they have a very strong entertainment program, headed by, at the time, Jay Doggerty, who's a pretty well-known entertainment lawyer. Right. So I took all the courses. I liked them. 
I didn't like a lot of other classes at law school, right? So, but entertainment law was cool, music law, video game law, film financing law. All these were available, you know, at law school. So I was very fortunate to be able to learn from actual practitioners in those areas of entertainment law. Um, so that sparked more of an interest than getting the internship. I interned at um, a production company that was doing a lot of reality shows for Bravo. So I was doing a lot of their talent agreements during my internship, and I thought this is really interesting, like being able to negotiate deals for artists, for talent, for on-camera performers, um, and um, I really liked it. I felt like I had a knack for it, right? So that's sort of how I ended up uh, doing entertainment law. That's fantastic, and I find your description of some of your courses that you took at Loyola just I, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous because uh, yeah. when I was in law school, there was I think one course, and it was like entertainment and sports, and so it was kind of usually they roll they roll sports and entertainment into its yeah. own thing, uh, to, into one thing in most most law schools. So yeah, I was super lucky. I mean, how, going to law school in Southern California, right? So Loyola has a strong program. UCLA, obviously, USC, Gold Law School, they have a pretty strong entertainment law program too. I think even I mean Chapman has in Orange County, they have a, they have a film school, so I, I would imagine their law school maybe has some entertainment courses too right yeah all right yeah perfect let's talk about the firm yeah. Council for Creators LLP yeah I noticed on your website that it uh, I think there's a little um, icon it says lawyerist best website or best website design we did yes 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 yeah that is fantastic yeah thank you we're super proud yeah so one four hundred a wonderful marketing and branding agency mm -hmm. out of Los Angeles and they have they always have a presence as Cleocon you know Alan Rodriguez their their president um, they designed the website um, and when they designed our website they had it with uh, we we trusted them implicitly um, because we have a relationship with them already but you know we just wanted to a website that reflected the, where we came where we came from the kind of clients that we service our personalities you know like we're not really stuffy um, you know we're very approachable we wanted to convey that with uh, the website and you know we were fortunate that lawyers selected us as one of the best um, law firm websites so yeah pretty cool we'll, we'll have that sticker on our website forever probably <laughs> <laughs> Great. I want to talk about your work in particular as a, a lawyer for filmmaker sure. filmmaker clients I know that's just one part of your practice but yeah. uh, you know as a, an entertainment law podcast yeah. that's a one I'm most interested in uh, can you tell me about some of the uh, work you do for clients who are film producers, film and television producers. Yeah, so so I manage our entertainment practice at Council for Creators and we uh, support our clients in three key areas, right? We provide uh, transactional support for their contracts. Uh, we provide support in, in so far as setting up business entities for them and also we support them with trademark and copyright, right? Generally speaking. As far as entertainment law uh, is concerned, we represent a number of filmmaker, independent filmmakers, either documentary or non-documentary, usually feature-length productions, right? Uh, usually budgets anywhere between 500k to like 5 million, and we provide pretty much soup to nuts uh, legal. So from the the development phase, when you're financing your project, you're acquiring the rights to your project, to the actual pre-production of getting all the actual contracts for talent, for crew all the releases, right? And then also providing a counsel on, the, uh, on certain clearance issues relating to the script. So reviewing the script, making sure that, you know, nothing like pops out as being uh, from an exposure standpoint, right? Right. And then moving into production, being available during that time, and then post-production and uh, distribution. Uh, so negotiating sales, agent, distribution deals, um, all of that. So um, that's just for film. And then we also have a number of clients that just do, you know, they pr produce digital content. 
uh, put it on YouTube or put it on like one of the online platforms, like full screen or whatever. Uh, we have clients that are musicians, uh, and then we also have clients that are talent, so actor, director, writer, who is entering a deal with a bigger studio like Netflix or whatever, and they need us to help them negotiate their deal. Uh, we have a lot of authors who uh, get optioned. Either they're journalists who wrote articles that are being optioned, or they wrote children's books, or they wrote you know fiction, and their work is being optioned by a production company or studio, right? Or we have writers who are entering shopping agreements or development agreements with studios or production companies. So we do we negotiate all those as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to just uh, back up a little bit. Something you said uh, right at the beginning uh, there was about setting up companies. Yes. For clients, uh, um, I take it's like single-purpose production companies. Single-purpose entities. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do single-purpose in the in the entertainment context. Yes, single-purpose entities. Yeah. But also, we do single-purpose entities, and uh, sometimes we structure it so there's the rights entity and the revenue entity. Right. right? So we do that sometimes as well. Um, and then for our non-entertainment clients, yeah, we set up businesses. We help them acquire business all the time. One of the things that we don't have in Canada uh, with respect to, uh, like I, I set up um, uh, you know, single-purpose production companies and, yeah. and other businesses uh, for my clients in Canada. For specific thing, projects, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one thing we don't have, and I'm wondering if you use this vehicle or this uh, yeah, vehicle for th that purpose is LLC. Yes. Like we don't have LLCs in Canada. Okay. Generally. We have corporations, social proprietorships, yeah. partnerships, LLPs, etc. Uh -huh. But no LLCs. Uh. Would you be able to explain? Because just because it, it's a bit of a, a foreign concept for for Canadians, what what is an LLC in the United States? Sure. I guess I'll start with corporations since you guys have corporations, yes. right? So corporations, obviously, they're they are a bit of a complex structured business entity that confers limited liability to the uh, shareholders, right? Yeah. And there's usually like uh, like a three-tiered hierarchy. There's you have the shareholder level. The shareholders are the owners of the corporation. You have the board of directors level, right? The board of directors are beholden to the shareholders. They have to make sure that the company is profitable for the right. shareholders. And then you have the officers below the board of directors who run the day-to-day, -day, right? So a little bit of a complex structure. A lot of times with corporations, uh, material decisions relating to the company uh, are subject to like board resolutions. So you have more paperwork, right? Mm -hmm. So ends up being a little bit more of a complex type of entity, right? LLCs are much more streamlined. I believe the first... LLC state was Wyoming uh, in, in, in the US. Uh, LLC is much more streamlined. You don't really have those hierarchies. You have the owners of the LLCs who are called members, right? You have a member membership into an LLC. A membership confers like a certain membership interest or ownership, right? So the members are like analogous to the uh, uh, shareholders, right? But then members, uh, it's, it could be if it's a member managed LLC, then that's pretty much it. The members make the decisions. There's no LLC resolutions that have to be made, and it's much more simple to set up because of the the, the less complexity of, of the of the type of entity. Um, which is why filmmakers, entertainment entities prefer LLCs. Really easy to set up, cheaper to set up, no hierarchies, no additional paperwork. Sometimes what LLCs do is they assign an individual to be a manager. Manager of LLC. So a lot of times, with in the filmmaker context, when you set up a single-purpose entity uh, that's taking on investment, right? So the investors end up having becoming part of the membership too. In addition to the producers who want a piece of the the, the writer creators of the project, they want to, to own a part of the film too. Right. Obviously, so you end up splitting it up. So the sh the investors own a piece, the producers own a piece, right? But then the producers are also assigned as the managers. So they're the ones that are making the film. They're the ones making the business decisions. The, share, the, 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 the investors are just there, to, the, the investors just have like an economic interest, I okay. guess, yeah. 
Right. Is it a very uh, case-by-case basis uh, for the vehicle that you select, either a corporation or an LLC? It's usually LLC. Usually LLC. Usually LLC. Okay. Uh, uh, one, one thing that we do do that's uh, sometimes we set up uh, what's called loan outs. Right, so right. a loan out would be a company that is owned by one person, usually like a director or a writer or an actor, yeah. and they use that when they enter uh, contracts with, uh, or essentially when they get gigs, right? right? So when a studio hires like a, like a Brad Pitt, they're not hiring him personally, they're hiring his company, right? And the company has to furnish his services as, as is the loan out. Yeah. So sometimes we set up corporations as loan outs versus LLCs because of certain tax uh, implications, so. Right, yeah. okay, perfect. Yeah. Now, and just one other area of law I want to touch on here is copyright law. Yeah. There are some uh, significant differences between copyright law, between uh, Canadian and American copyright law, and there's the one topic about I want to ask you about is about copyright registration. Yeah. Now, just give you a little bit of background. In Canada, copyright registration is not required to, uh, to, to access well, it, it, there are certain very limited remedies that will uh, you can access if uh, you have a registration of copyright. But copyright exists, and you can sue for infringement and access to statutory damages, mm-hmm. whether or not attorneys fees. Attorneys fees too. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's a w- one narrow exception that is that, and uh, this is, sounds a little convoluted, is that if there is someone that a defendant that says honestly he did not think that this work was copyrighted, is subject to copyright. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, didn't think it then the only remedy that you can get uh, if you do not have a registration is injunction. Oh, really? Yeah, but if you register it, then that's notice, that's, that's public notice, it's, uh, presumably everyone knows about it, but and that you cannot assert that defense. Okay, gotcha. Partial okay. defense, rather. Okay, so if uh, for an unregistered work, that defense is available then? Yes. For infringement? Yeah, a partial defense, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so yeah, you cannot access statutory damages. I don't think you can ask even for, you know, accounting for profits. And Just an injunction. Damages. Just injunction, yeah. Which is still, that's still a thing. It is. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so registration is generally not required in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, uh, I heard that there is a, a U.S. Supreme Court decision that came down and just clarified the law, essentially, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you do not register your copyright, then you cannot start a claim for infringement. Period. Is that is that the case? Uh, which case are you talking about? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, remember. yeah. But I, I know that uh, there was a uh, something that I, we discussed in our podcast that concerned uh, supermodel Gigi Hadid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was not the Supreme Court decision, but that uh, applied the uh, Supreme Court decision. In, mm-hmm. So it, essentially, the defendant Gigi Hadid. Brought a motion to dismiss based on that there, you know, that you do not have a, a proper claim because you did not register this copyright. This copyright uh, for the, the picture uh, was not registered before. Fourth yeah. Estate Public Benefit Corporation versus WallStreet.com. There we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, copyright obviously is a huge, huge part of. Uh, it's a huge bundle of rights that um, yeah, filmmakers have, right, when mm-hmm. they create something um, and. I, we always advise our clients, like not just for copyrights, but for trademarks, right? Like your, your position is much stronger if you have a registration, mm-hmm. right? And now with the Supreme Court decision, sure, like you, you aren't able to uh, not, 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 not only uh, pursue an infringement claim, but also, um, and I have to look at the decision to see if there are any exemptions or exceptions, right, right obviously. But, but having access to statutory damages, having access to attorney's fees, right, mm-hmm. that's huge. We have an illustrator client. She's a pretty well-known illustrator, and um, which happen, what happens a lot with a lot of illustrators is their work gets ripped off, especially if it's like cute stuff, like doggies right. or whatever, like a, a brand like, I don't know, like hypothetically Kohl's or Forever 21 will rip off the design, put it on socks, and sell it, right? 
So being able to uh, uh, pursue a claim against a company like that and get uh, attorney's fees is huge for like an artist or an independent mm-hmm. artist, right? So. Okay. Yeah. What can you do if they are not registered? They did not register their work as yes. a copyright work with the United States Copyright Office. Then what can you do? Uh, because like I know um, my my interest in this question is because uh, I review distribution agreements for clients. Yeah. And if it's a dis- uh, distributor and they're t- part of territory is the uh, United States, it's always a requirement to register the copyright and also have evidence of the registration. That's right. Yeah, I mean it's a hard question for me to ask because it's not really a situation I deal with because mm-hmm. all. In the U.S., and maybe we're we're going to lead to this. In the U.S., in order to get a distribution deal, Mm -hmm. right, finalized, a distributor will have this exhaustive list of deliverables. Film deliverables, you've seen the list. And then legal deliverables, right? As part of the legal deliverables, they want to make sure, like macro level, they want to make sure that the the project is unencumbered Mm -hmm. in any way, right? So having a copyright registration is always required. So yeah. uh, as far as what can you do, I don't know. Like, you're kind of f***ed, excuse my language, but you know, <laughs> it's it's in light of the decision and also in light of what the best practices are, yeah. you're not gonna be able to get a distribution deal. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to finalize it, right? right. So um, so you gotta, get, gotta do it. So get that US copyright registration. Yeah, and it's super easy. Um, we actually put out a video um, we have, you know, I mentioned that subscription services, yep. as part of that, we do a lot of content. Yep. We try to make it like educational, right? And one of the videos that we produced was uh, how to navigate and register a copyright with the U.S. Copyright Office. Like, you can obviously pay a lawyer to do it. And if you already have an entertainment lawyer working on your project, they're going to do it for you. But it's actually quite easy to, like, learn how to, do, how to register a work. Is that video publicly accessible? Or? Uh, it is not, but you know what? I can make it available to your listeners if they're interested. Sure, in yeah, and we can put it in the show notes, and that'd be sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll just write it down here. Just, uh, just shoot me a reminder. Happy to share that. No problem. Thank you. Now, I just want to move on from that yeah. and uh, just ask generally, because we're at a legal technology conference, is there anything in particular about legal technology and your practice that you are excited about? Yes. Um, or, or perhaps scared about? <laughs> uh, scared. Yeah, that's a good, a good questions. Um, for I'll speak about my practice first. We're excited that we are four years in building our legal subscription service that is built on a technology platform that we developed on our own, mm-hmm. right? That provides uh, legal advice, document review, access to content um, on a, like a 24-hour basis, essentially, right? Um, and uh, we're super proud of that. We're super proud that we're able to do that in light of us, sorry, um, in light of us like being like a smaller firm, mm-hmm. right? Um, because in the U.S., I'm not sure how it is in, in Canada, but law firms cannot get outside financing. You know, they have to be financed by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or like, they can't, law firms cannot be financed by non-lawyers, right? So, same thing. Yeah. Same thing, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we had to kind of build it from the ground up. Yeah. Actually, uh, a correction on our, they cannot be owned by mm-hmm. non-lawyers. Yes. Uh, the financing, I, I don't know the answer to that one. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, that is something that, from a legal tech standpoint, we're proud of because mm-hmm. we, we've kind of established our position in this space. My partner, John and Tobin, he's very active in legal tech on social media and legal tech and stuff, so, and well-regarded, right, uh, in that space. So we're excited about that. We're excited about other law firms sort of reevaluating how they deliver uh, legal services. Right. Um, I think the whole like, concept of access to justice is like, very relevant, especially now that technology has kind of caught up and, you know, 
law is a regulated profession and industry. So, of course, innovation is going to be slower, right? Much slower, Absolutely. right? Um, but, you know, it's, it's cool to see other law firms, uh, other smaller practices, uh, and other like-minded co companies, entrepreneurs, are thinking more about how we can make the delivery of legal services cheaper, faster, more efficient, right, for, for consumers, ultimately. I think that's the most important thing. I think one of the things that we're not, I'm not scared of, but I'm, I find interesting is, uh, so at ClioCon, they do a legal trends report every year. Right. Um, and one of the things they said the other day was like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially uh, the, the takeaway I got was you have to have a website. <laughs> you have to, uh, you have to have a website, you have to work on marketing and you have to uh, like have a Which brand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I feel yeah. like that's all basic. Shit, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, but because we've done that. We're ahead of the curve, which is good for us, but also I see so many law firms who still don't have websites, right? And maybe they don't need to, to attract business, but I feel like the model of getting referrals, that is still going to be a thing with, using referrals for business is always gonna be a thing in the legal industry, right? But I also feel like uh, the, the, the more like sort of front-end marketing, uh, SEO marketing, AdWords, uh, CPC, all that stuff, is also gonna be relevant for firms like us, right? That are trying to attract clients and uh, consumers who will use those channels more, will go online to look for law firms, uh, will uh, do searches on Facebook or Yelp or whatever, right? So. Okay. Yeah. Let's wrap this up then, Chung. Thank you very much for uh, doing this interview. Again yeah, for thanks me. for having me, man. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can go to our website, councilforcreators.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page too, uh, facebook.com slash I believe Council for Creators. Mm -hmm. um, if you Google Council for Creators, there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes at you. So we put out a lot of, we're very consistent about putting out content, right? So um, for me, I am on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. So what's your handle on the gram? Uh, it is WHO underscore is underscore buoy my last name okay um and it's mostly just pictures of my son so <laughs> not that interesting oh, well, uh, how old's your son uh he's four uh, oh, his name's kenzo yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great age uh it's great so uh i guess if you're looking more for the professional stuff just google my name and attorney or my name entertainment and you'll you'll find a bunch of stuff there so all right fantastic and one more thing before we uh, wrap it up here is yeah. that i'd like to give you a bit of a just a small token a small gift for oh, cool. doing this interview a pair of socks right so, on man <laughs> not sure if you watch hockey at all uh, are you a Kings fan or? Uh, I, well I grew up in San Jose so I grew up Sharks a Sharks fan, fan yeah so you probably don't want the Oilers socks then. <laughs> okay do you want the, this Canada one I don't know those those Oilers socks you want the are pretty, Oilers one? Those, yeah these are kind of fire man I love these all right perfect these are great thank you so much that's very kind of you well, Chung, thank you again for doing this with me. Uh, I will let you know when this podcast episode comes out. But uh, have fun with the rest of the conference. You and, too. Uh, you'll be at the After Dark party tonight? Uh, I will not. I'm oh, actually, yeah, you're, you're, I'm you're taking, driving, I'm driving yeah. back up to LA to uh, catch the Lakers, Lakers game. Lakers game, so. of course. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you again and uh, safe travels home. All right. Thank you very much. Legal Cup Pro has been produced by Greg Pang and Michelle Molyneux. Excerpts of Just Say Go, Dr. Octavio Mendicity, mixed courtesy of Dr. Octavio and Michelle Molyneux. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated on it is to be construed as legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts of Legal Cup Pro and any guests are their own and do not represent the opinions of any organization or other person unless otherwise stated. Intro sound clip film projector countdown has been truncated from its original form and is copyright 2013 Ivan Gabovich used under creative 
Commons BY3 license. Outro sound clip film projector reel runs out by Stefan021 is used under Creative Commons CC01.0 license. This podcast is copyright of Red Frame Law and is licensed to you under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial CC BYNC 4.0 license. For details of that license, visit creativecommons.org.